Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, September 19th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Manunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Mosh, just want to give everyone a heads up. We're going to be dropping a second podcast this afternoon. And it is my send-off to fatherhood podcast for you that I put together a, a labor of love, I have to say. It's fun and it's heartfelt. And I think not only will you enjoy it, but I do think that the wider audience will hopefully enjoy it as well. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm so grateful for it. I like it being referred to as a labor of love as a prelude to labor. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. A lot of it. No <laughs> pun intended. Um, but yes, I understand you're, you've spoken to a number of people in my life. So I can't wait to listen in later today. So everybody look for that and we'll know when the baby is here because that means Mosh will be away for a couple of weeks on his paternity leave. Jill, I'll let you know this right now. We're going to give you the opportunity to break the news first on this podcast. Yes! (laughs) I've worked my whole career for this. (laughs) For this exclusive. (laughs) And with that, let's get to some other news. The latest in the high stakes prisoner swap between the United States and Iran that took place on Monday... Dude, where's my fighter jet? The military asking for the public's help in finding a missing F-35. This is a real story. (laughs) This is my favorite story of the week, and it's early. Congress trying to prevent the next government shutdown. Ten days and counting. Hunter Biden strikes back. Why he's suing the IRS. Plus, Amazon announces dates for its latest prime days. A popular e-commerce site is going public, and you will never believe how hackers were able to infiltrate MGM's computer systems. I hope we don't give anyone any ideas uh, on the Mo Mo News team computer systems. (laughs) Jill, it's funny. We're actually not advanced enough to be hacked in this way, and I think that actually will help us. (laughs) Yes, we are not hackable. Plus, Moshe is on this day in history. Jill will look back at the Unabomber uh, and how they were able to get him. And we'll continue our uh, On This Day music theme of the 60s this week with a look back at the twist, Jill, and how the version we all remember actually came to be. All right. The U.S. and Iran freed 10 people on Monday in a high stakes prisoner swap. Five American citizens held in Iran were released and put on flights out of the country. The U.S. government, in exchange, released five Iranians and unblocked the transfer of six billion dollars in frozen Iranian oil funds that have been held in South Korea. This deal was negotiated over several months, and it marks a major breakthrough for the U.S. and Iran bitter enemies who remain at odds over a range of issues like the rapid expansion of Iran's nuclear program, its ongoing military support for Russia, and Iran's violent crackdown on internal dissent and protests. The arrangement took place hours after President Biden and Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi arrived in New York Monday to attend a gathering of world leaders at the United Nations General Assembly. The two leaders, though, not scheduled to meet. The prisoners' release comes as a major relief to their families and supporters, many of whom have waited several years for their return from Iran's notorious Evin prison. It also comes under harsh criticism from Republicans in Congress opposed to any agreement that involves the unfreezing of Iranian funds. 
Though under the agreement, the money may only be used for the purchase of humanitarian goods. Republicans are arguing, though, that the administration should have negotiated a deal with terms that are more favorable to the United States. Biden, in a statement, said that the Americans freed by Iran had endured years of agony, uncertainty and suffering. And he also warned U.S. citizens not to travel to the country. Yeah, please stop going there so we don't have to keep doing these prisoner exchanges. And this is one of the concerns here, Jill, is that the U.S. makes it a priority to bring Americans home. Yet at the same time, the fear is this incentivizes the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians and and other governments and groups around the world to uh, continue holding Americans prisoner in exchange for people held here in the U.S., as for the Americans who were released, one was Sia McNamazi. He had been behind bars in Tehran for nearly eight years, the longest duration Iran has ever held an American. Others included Murad Tabaz, Imad Shargi, uh, both American-Iranian dual citizens. Each were released from the even prison, placed under house arrest last month, and then fully released. Then there were two more Americans who were not identified at the request of their families, for uh, security reasons. Those Americans initially took a flight to Doha and then made their way to the U.S. As those Americans left Iran, the U.S. at that moment was releasing five Iranians, some of whom had been charged with crimes but not yet convicted, one Iranian for illicit lobbying, another for exporting lab gear for Iran's nuclear program in violation of sanctions, Another one was acquiring military equipment for Iran here in the U.S. Officials here have described the Iranians who were released as low-level, nonviolent criminals who do not pose a threat, an active threat, to U.S. national security. Two of them, two of the five Iranians released from the U.S. prison, will apparently remain here in the U.S. as part of the deal. As for the money, the $6 billion that was held in South Korea, South Korea is one of Iran's largest oil customers. And as a result of a waiver issued by the Trump administration back in 2018, it permitted South Korea to continue purchasing Iran's oil, but then didn't allow Iran to actually get the money. So those funds have been stuck now in a South Korean bank for about four years. Over the last week, those funds were converted from Korean currency to euros before being moved to Qatar. So basically, Iran was waiting for the wire transfer to go through here uh, before this deal would go down. Uh, as you noted, Jill, the U.S. says these $6 billion, uh, in oil funds Iran has had locked up can only be used for non-sanctioned goods like food and medicine. The U.S. says they'll have oversight of this money through the Qataris. At the same time, Ibrahim Raisi, the Iranian president, told reporters here in the U.S., that this unfrozen revenue, quote, belonged to the people of Iran and will solely be spent to the needs of the people of Iran, keeping it very vague there, uh, but basically saying we're going to spend it how we wish. All right, now to our favorite story of the day. Dude, where's my plane? For hours on Sunday and Monday, the U.S. military was literally asking the public for help to find an F-35 fighter jet that went missing somewhere over South Carolina on Sunday when the pilot had to eject because of a, quote, mishap. Well, as of Monday night, military officials said that a debris field had been found in South Carolina. Officials said that debris found in Williamsburg County, about two hours northeast of Joint Base Charleston, which is now handing off command to the Marine Corps. The pilot of the craft, again, had safely ejected during the incident and was taken to a local medical facility in stable condition. The Marine Corps is still investigating, so not a lot of information coming out. 
We do know the stealth jet was left in autopilot mode when the pilot ejected from the aircraft. Authorities believe that there was a possibility that it could have remained airborne for some time. They had literally put out a phone number for the public to call if they saw the missing plane. Yeah, I I wonder how useful most of those calls were once that number was out there. I imagine some jokesters got to them, but it sort of struck everyone by surprise, Jill, from members of the public, residents, including the congresswoman uh, who represents an area, Nancy May. She's a Republican from South Carolina who asked on social media, how in the hell do you lose an F-35? How is there not a tracking device? And we're asking the public to what? Find a jet and turn it in. She would meet with Marine officials during the day on Monday, calling it one of the shortest meetings she ever had. They had no answers at the time. Joint Base Charleston, everyone was engaged in an all-out search. The Marines, the Navy, the FAA, the Civil Air Patrol, local law enforcement, uh, trying to figure out where this plane went that was uh, in autopilot mode. Just for perspective here, this plane typically costs between 80 to $100 million. It costs $40,000 an hour to operate. It apparently has some of the best stealth technology in the world. The issue here, apparently, Jill, the stealth was too good. The stealth was too good for us <laughs> to even track. Uh, and so apparently we had to spend 24 hours looking for it until this debris field was found. Thankfully, no one on the ground hurt, it appears. Uh, the suggestion from a few folks in the Manus community, why not just put an air tag in all our $80 million planes? If it works for kids' backpacks, I, I don't see why it can't work in an F-35. I'm sure they're going to be thinking about it. Sometimes it's just the simplest things that uh, you forget when you have a $100 million plan. All right, we've got a lot to get to on this podcast, but we want to talk about a new partner that we have that is amazing for anyone out there with small businesses or for anyone who's ready to launch their own startup. How does this sound make you feel? Show me the money. (laughs) Okay, that is the sound of a sale using Shopify. If you're a business owner, you're always looking for a solution to get your product to as many people as possible. Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or you're much bigger, if you're IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you will need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify is the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. And right now there is a special deal for the Mo News community. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash monews, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash monews to take your business to the next level today. Jill, do you feel like I've brought some good energy to today's podcast? Totally. You're crushing it. (laughs) Well, I might have to give some credit to the AG1 I took this morning. I first tried Athletic Greens AG1 powder last year when I was having trouble getting all my nutrients. And I found it to be really easy and really quick. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It lets you get on with your day knowing you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support your digestion and gut health. And right now, with your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit their website right now, drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag, the number one, dot com slash monews to take advantage of the offer. That's where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or just try it 
just one time. Again, the website drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, and really start to take some ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from the Associated Press. The countdown is on to a potential government shutdown. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is running out of options as he races to come up with a plan to keep the government from shutting down next week. His latest proposal, which included hardline border security provisions, not enough to appease the far right flank in his Republican House majority. The speaker telling his Republican conference on Monday that they should be prepared to stay through this weekend to pass a stopgap measure called a continuing resolution that would keep the government offices open past that September 30th deadline. But many are already bracing for the heavy political fallout of a federal shutdown. McCarthy suggesting that time is still on his side with less than two weeks to go. They are focused on a one-month spending bill that pushes a shutdown back a whole 30 days, Mosh. <laughs> just, just to let everyone know, the compromise would just kick this can 30 more days for an October 31st shutdown. So McCarthy's pushing for a 1% cut to last year's spending levels, as well as a slew of proposals for border security and immigration in order to protect Republican spending priorities for defense, veteran and disaster relief. It does cut other spending by over 8%. And that's a non-starter for Democrats and frankly, not significant enough cuts for the right flank of his own party. So he's in a difficult spot here. Uh, Democrats, the White House, even Senate Republicans are all like, can we just please not shut down the government here? McCarthy himself has warned uh, the right flank of his party in the House that this will backfire on Republicans politically, and they're not going to like the results of this. It's actually one of the reasons people speculate he uh, went ahead with an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden last week to try to appease his right flank, saying, listen, I'm giving you some stuff. Can you please not shut down the government on me? And by the way, the impeachment investigation can't go forward while the government is shut down. But a few people in his caucus continue to stand strong here, saying they want to see more significant cuts. They were sent to Washington to do some stuff, even if it means shutting down the government. As far as uh, the rest of Congress is concerned, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in his speech that the proposal that even House Republicans couldn't agree to was slapdash and reckless. He says these draconian cuts are not going to fly and that the majority of Congress, beyond an aspect of McCarthy's caucus, is ready for a compromise here to keep the government open. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said on CNBC Monday that we have a good, strong economy right now and creating a situation that could cause a loss of momentum is something we do not need. For context here, if the government is to shut down next weekend, that would be the fourth shutdown in a decade. There was one back in 2013 during the Obama years, a brief three-day one in early 2018 during Trump, and then a much longer one, a 35-day shutdown in uh, late 2018 into 2019, again, during the Trump administration. And so this would just be the latest one of these, Jill, that used to not be as common uh, as they are today. Though there is the notable shutdown in the Newt Gingrich, Bill Clinton days from 95, 96. And we can say that one is most notable for the fact that because of the shutdown, White House staff couldn't work, Jill. But who could work at the White House at that time? Interns. And a certain intern named Monica Lewinsky happened to be working there during that time. And that is where that relationship got started, during the government shutdown of 95, 96. Oh, the unintended consequences of a shutdown. People listening probably didn't think that this story was going to go in that direction, but it did. 
Okay, staying with politics from NBC News, Hunter Biden filing a lawsuit Monday against the IRS in federal court in D.C., alleging that two of its agents have been unlawfully sharing his private tax information amid criminal probes that have led to charges against him. In the suit, lawyers for President Biden's son allege that IRS agents have targeted and sought to embarrass Biden via public statements to the media in which they and their representatives disclosed confidential information about a private citizen's tax matters. The complaint alleges the IRS and two of its employees, Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler, broke federal law prohibiting the dissemination of personal tax information and violated the Privacy Act. Ziegler, who works in the agency's International Tax and Financial Crime Section, and Shapley, who is an agent in the IRS's Criminal Investigation Division, have both testified as whistleblowers before the House. Ziegler was the originating case agent investigating Biden's taxes. He testified at a hearing in July that there was, quote, gross mismanagement among those involved in the probe. And he suggested at the time that prosecutors turned a blind eye to some of the allegations because Hunter is the current president's son. Shapley testified the same thing, saying the Justice Department had given Biden preferential treatment. But Hunter Biden alleges in his suit that both of them improperly disclosed information about the investigation, a whole bunch of other details, not just to Congress, but to a number of news outlets as well. In a statement, Shapley's legal team said that neither they nor Shapley had ever released any confidential taxpayer information except through whistleblower disclosures authorized by statute. The tax investigation into Hunter starting back in 2018 appeared to wrap up in July when he was scheduled to plead guilty to two misdemeanor counts in exchange for a sentence of probation. Then there was a separate felony gun charge. Uh, The plea deals completely fell apart. Hunter last week was indicted on the gun charge. Uh, TBD, whether he'll be indicted on the uh, tax evasion as well. Keep in mind, we're talking about $100,000 in unpaid taxes that he has since paid back to the government. But it appears here that he's done playing defense and wants to play offense here. From the Washington Post, some new health research over the last 20 years, three times as many U.S. adults who died of heart disease had obesity as a contributing factor on their death record. Research published in the Journal of the American Heart Association used CDC data showing that there were 281,135 deaths from heart disease linked to obesity from 1999 to 2020. The rate of obesity-related cardiac deaths tripled from 2.2 deaths per 100,000 people to 6.6 deaths per 100,000. However, in the same two decades, there was a steady decline of nearly 18% in cardiac deaths overall. The mortality rate from heart disease linked to obesity was higher among the black population than among any other group in the U.S. Overall, the deaths were also more common among men than women, although black women had a slightly higher mortality rate than black men. So this jives with the data that obesity itself is also up over the last couple of decades. Right now, it impacts about 115 million people in America, more than one in three Americans, about 42% of adults and 20% of children or one in five children are currently deemed to be obese. Medical experts say that obesity can lead to heart disease in a number of ways, including sparking a rise in blood pressure, causing a spike in bad cholesterol and lowering good cholesterol levels. It also increases the chance of developing diabetes. The researchers found that narrowed arteries and high blood pressure were the most common causes of obesity-related heart disease deaths in the two decades that they just tracked. From ABC News, an August cyber attack on Clorox caused wide-scale disruptions in its operations. 
which could mean product delays and shortages. That is according to a securities filing on Monday. The Clorox company, known for sanitizing wipes and brands like Pine Salt, Fresh Step Cat Litter, and apparently Mosh, Hidden Valley Ranch, as in the salad dressing, which I don't think they're known for that because that's this is the first no, I'm hearing about I it. I too learned today. Today I learned that Clorox <laughs> owns... Uh, salad dressing. Apparently, they have for more than 50 years, Jill. The mo you know. Um, anyway, the Clorox company said that they had detected unauthorized activity on some of its information technology on August 14th, and then they took steps to remediate the activity, including taking certain systems offline. The cyber attack damaged portions of the company's IT infrastructure, and it could have an impact on Clorox products hitting the shelves. At this time, the company cannot estimate how long it will take to resume fully normalized operations. I feel like this would have been absolutely breaking tragic news in April of 2020 or March of 2020 uh, when we were in the height of the pandemic and people were literally, by people I mean me, like wiping down my Clorox wipes. I was like, you. I was using sanitizer on my box of Clorox wipes. I remember those days, though, Jill, don't underestimate people's love of ranch dressing. We're giving you an early heads up that if you are like a big ranch person, and you're okay with the fact that, by the way, the Clorox, the bleach company, owns the salad dressing company, which is news to Jill and I this week. Go get some of your ranch dressing because there could be a shortage for a, a bit of time as they deal with the fallout of uh, this hack. By the way, speaking of hacks, we have an update on the MGM hack, which is still ongoing. The casino company uh, at a number of its places across America is still dealing with it. Right now, the estimate from Bloomberg is that it's losing 4 to $8 million a day as it still struggles to get online. And it comes, Jill, as we're getting some new details on how the hackers were able to get inside MGM. And it appears it was pretty simple. All they had to do was hop on LinkedIn, find an employee, call the IT department at MGM, the help desk, to then pretend to be that employee and ask to reset their password to get into the system. Apparently, not many questions were asked. And so the hackers used LinkedIn, <laughs> all publicly available information. <laughs> the IT line was like, sure, here's your new password. And there you have it, a $34 billion company defeated by what's been called a 10-minute phone conversation. Uh, hi, this is Moshe Wanunu. I'm <laughs> the CEO of Mo News. <laughs> I forgot my password. <laughs> well, it's, it's wild. I mean, Jill, this is a real thing. This ability to use your publicly available information to get a lot of stuff on you, or in this case, infiltrate companies. From Bloomberg, grocery delivery business Instacart going public at the NASDAQ today and is planning to sell shares in its initial public offering for $30 a piece. At $30 a share, Instacart's IPO would raise $660 million, and the company would have a valuation of about $10 billion. That is a steep plunge from its $39 billion valuation in a 2021 funding round when its business boomed amid pandemic lockdowns, but it still ranks as one of the biggest companies to go public this year. Notably, Instacart has evolved a lot since it launched about a decade ago, envisioned back in 2012 as a service that matched people at home with contract workers who would then shop for them and deliver groceries. It has increasingly focused on advertising and software products as the delivery business has slowed in recent years. Nearly a third of Instacart's $2.5 billion in revenue last year came from its highly profitable ads and software division. In the first half of this year, 
Instacart's $400 million in revenue in ads and software helped propel it to $240 million in profit. This is notable because while there's a whole bunch of convenient apps out there, some of them that have failed, some that have survived, some that are extremely successful, even ones like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, none of those have ever turned an annual profit, whereas Instacart has because of this separate ads and software division. All right, now to a quick update on a story that we mentioned on yesterday's podcast. This from Variety. Bill Maher reversing course and postponing his return to work. He had said that Real Time with Bill Maher will not, as previously planned, return to HBO on September 22nd. So he joins the likes of Drew Barrymore, Jennifer Hudson, and The Talk in delaying returning to the studio Over the weekend, a slew of hosts, including Barrymore, reversed their decision to return to work. Following criticism from writers and actors, Hudson made that same decision, while CBS's The Talk also reversed course. Last week, Marr said that he was bringing his late-night show back, sans writers, saying that it was time to bring people back to work. The union had called Marr's decision disappointing and revealed that it would picket his show. So I have to say, this surprised me. I think I said yesterday on the podcast that I figured Mar would stand strong. He likes to challenge authority, etc. But it appears here the union is very, very strong here, putting a lot of pressure across the industry for um, as many shows to stand up to the studios as possible as they attempt uh, to negotiate on behalf of the writers and actors. And so there you have it, Jill. It does come, as we learned on Monday, that ABC will be putting on more Monday Night Football games and not just having ESPN air them because, of course, they don't have much to show in primetime these days. So you'll be seeing more sports and more reality, as we uh, you know, have told you about. And from People Magazine, Amazon announcing that Prime Big Deal Days is set to take place on Tuesday, October 10th and Wednesday, October 11th. Similar to Amazon's annual Prime Day savings bash in July, the event will consist of major markdowns on top-rated brands. Yes, start to load up your cart there on Amazon as you get ready for October 10th and 11th. Uh, Starting today, Prime members can sign up for invite-only details on select products that are expected to sell out. And if you're not a Prime member, apparently they have 30-day free trials still available, after which your membership would be $14.99 a month. Uh, This is not a paid ad by Amazon, but given how ubiquitous Amazon is these days, we thought we'd tell you about it. All right, now time for On This Day in History. On this day in 1796, George Washington gave his farewell address. Printed in a Philadelphia newspaper on this day, George Washington, our first president, implored his country to remain neutral, avoid foreign entanglements, warned of political parties, and reinforce his decision to uh, step down after two terms in office, setting a precedent that would eventually be codified in the Constitution. Jill, I don't know how well we've listened to George Washington and his farewell address, especially that whole two-party part. A bunch of his cabinet secretaries, Jefferson, Adams, Hamilton, were like, okay, George, that's a great idea. We're starting political parties. On this day in 1893, New Zealand became the first country in the world to grant national voting rights to women. The U.S. uh, and other countries would follow decades later. New Zealand, of course, first in 1893. The U.S. finally grants women the right to vote in 1920. The U.K. uh, granting women full voting rights in 1928. Jill, we have a podcast coming out very soon on um, Winston Churchill and FDR's mothers, it's a new biography um, out of Canada, interviewed the author. It's a fascinating history. But in that book, 
They go into detail that when the women's suffrage movement was rising up in the teens there, that FDR was the biggest suffragette of them all in the Roosevelt family, that Eleanor was not big on it, and his mother didn't think that women should have the right to vote. (laughs) Is that the book that I thought you were reading that was like the parenthood book? Passionate Mothers. (laughs) Yes, yes. The book is called Passionate Mothers, Powerful Sons. And Jill's like, that's weird. Like you're having a daughter. You're reading that, but I guess. You're You're about to be a dad and you're having a daughter, but okay. (laughs) You're having a daughter, but you're reading a book about Powerful Sons. I'm like, no, no, no. It's a biography about Churchill's mom and FDR's mom born in the same year in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, Churchill's mom was an American. I won't go into further detail there, but it's it's a fascinating book. But I learned that detail about the suffrage movement and FDR being more into women's voting than Eleanor was at the time, which I think many people would find shocking. All right, fast forward to the 90s. On this day in 1995, the Unabomber Manifesto was published. This was a 35,000-word anti-technology document written by Ted Kaczynski. He was the man who had launched a bombing campaign that had killed three, wounded 23. He submitted it to the papers. And there was a huge controversy. The newspapers didn't know what to do here because, you know, you're literally printing the words of a killer. But authorities in the federal government at the time said, you know what, go ahead and publish it. We cannot figure out who this guy is, where he is, this Unabomber, and maybe someone will recognize his writing. So the Unabomber Manifesto, published in the New York Times, Washington Post, on this day, and it turned out that the brother of the Unabomber would recognize the writing. His name was David Kaczynski. He said, that sounds like my older brother, Ted, this Unabomber Manifesto. He told the government... And that would help lead to Ted Kaczynski's capture. And then he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. That's really fascinating from the journalism side of it as well, to be in that room as they're debating whether or not they should publish this. Yes. I mean, you can make arguments for both sides, right? That ultimately you're like, well, this guy's a killer and he sent this to us as a threat. And should we be giving you know, him attention? And yet, you know, you had some savvy law enforcement uh, folks there who are like, you know, listen. At this point, it can do no harm. Now, keep in mind, this is like, you know, years before the internet is widespread. Today, you can self-publish it. But back then, you needed to be able to go through, you know, a a New York Times or Washington Post to get this thing out there. All right, a couple pop culture items before we go. On this day, 53 years ago, the Mary Tyler Moore Show premiered on CBS. It was a groundbreaking series. There are thousands of women, probably more, who were inspired by that show that showed Mary Tyler Moore as a single, independent, working woman at a time when most female characters on television were the wife, the girlfriend, the widow, the secondary uh, to a male lead figure. Oprah actually has talked about how inspired she was by the Mary Tyler Moore show. I mean, it really goes to show you that pop culture can make a huge difference. And when we talk about you know groundbreaking series that show you know, various minorities or, you know, various people of of a whole variety of backgrounds uh, doing things, how inspirational that can be to a new generation. All right. In music news. Come on, baby. on this day in 1960, Chubby Checker's version of The Twist goes to number one in America. A little background here, though. He didn't write the song. It was actually written by a singer named Hank Ballard, who had put it out, had some success, but not too much success with the twist. Dick Clark of American Bandstand uh, hears about the song, wants to have it on American Bandstand, the TV show that tens of millions of Americans would watch for new music every week. Hank Ballard, for some reason, not available. Dick Clark really wanted it on the show. So he found an 18-year-old chubby checker who apparently was a decent mimic 
uh, to perform the song. History is made. Chubby Checker's version of the twist goes to number one. Hank. <laughs> Come on, buddy. Hank. What were you doing? <laughs> Be available, Hank. Be available. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you say no to Dick Clark and American Band's Den. All right. Finally, on this day in 1999. The Dixie Chicks became the first country group to top the Billboard Albums chart when Fly debuted at number one on this day in 1999. Of course, the Dixie Chicks now known just as the Chicks. All right, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Thanks, everyone, for the kind notes we've been getting on Instagram. We're all very excited. And Jill, I'm looking forward later today to listening to your fatherhood special. I will have my notepad out. <laughs> Copious notes. To take down all the lessons. Yes. Have some tissues with you. It is sweet. All right, everyone. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.